0: Get that water out of the goddamn huddle. i tell you when you get a f-ing water break.
1: Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips.
2: I'm Molly Bay.
1: Today is November 6, 2019.
2: You've been slaving away on the coach's film. So that's yeah. what we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, though, fact checks, follow ups. Follow up. Uh, I was wrong about the Keystone Cops play against what? Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was uh, Jameis Winston's fault. Bruce, Arian said in a prep conference that it was a jet sweep. The ball was supposed to be snapped right before Perriman crossed, but Arian said that Perriman lined up about five yards out too wide. That's what caused the, him running into, was it Ronald Jones?
2: So it was a timing issue.
1: Yeah, he lined out too far. and
2: wasn't where he was supposed to be yeah, when he, the ball was snapped.
1: Yeah, he should have been across the snap before, or right at the snap. He was supposed to be there, and then he would be out of the way. When the ball was handed off,
2: it seems like that happens not frequently, more frequently than I would like, where some of the offensive players aren't where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. You know, like receivers running the wrong routes or not cutting when they're supposed to, and Jameis throws it there and it gets picked off. We've seen that a couple times.
1: Yeah, I think that happens quite a bit with NFL teams. You know, believe it or not, this stuff is quite complex. Don't know how often it happens. That's one of the things that's hard about watching the All-22 footage. Is You don't really know what everybody's responsibility is supposed to be.
2: Yeah, and you get those comments a lot on the videos, on the film review videos, where people say, oh, he wasn't doing this, he was supposed to do that. And it's anyone can look at the film and see something different. It's not always completely obvious.
1: It's and one of the reasons why I do more Jimmy's and Joe's than I do X's and O's, because the X's and O part, a lot of times you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it might look one, the perfect example is that play right there. It, uh, it looked pretty obvious, but then when you find out that Perryman lined up five yards too wide, that changes everything. But you never would have known that watching the game film. So with the Jimmys and Joes, you can definitely tell when somebody gets beat, you know, one on one. So that's, that's why I like to focus on that.
2: You got any more fact checks or follow ups? Uh, nope. All right. So let's get to it.
1: Okay. Seattle game. What happened? What happened? Uh, Just a general summation, we were pretty much on point with what we thought watching the game. There were a few things, though, that stood out to me. One, the Seattle played a really good game. I mean, they didn't make a lot of mistakes.
2: That is a testament to consistency. They have had the same coach, same quarterback for how many years?
1: Yes, I do believe that's a huge factor. And their, their game was relatively simple. I mean, they ran uh, play action bootlegs, I think, eight times I counted. That's a lot to basically run the same play. I mean, they did different variations of it, and then they would fake it a couple of times. But that seemed to be their staple play.
2: They must have noticed that we fall for it in years past.
1: Well, we rarely do fall for it. Right. And we didn't. Well, now we don't. Right, yes. Last
2: year, years before, it was every time we were falling for it hook, line, and sinker.
1: Well, we didn't watch a whole lot of Seattle before the game. And I don't know if that's a play they run as often as they do, as often as they did against us. So, I, you know, I can't testify to that one way or another. But they, they're very good at it. And they're very good. Russell Wilson was very good about when he does the bootleg. I mean, we were very disciplined. We would be right there in his face. But then he would just drop it You know, he would act like he was going to run. That would bring the linebacker up, and then he would just drop it over top of the linebacker to, you know, tight end or wide receiver running a crossing route or running across the middle. Very hard to defend with him. He didn't run a lot on us. Uh, We had Devin White was pretty much primarily spying on Russell Wilson. He had the one big run towards late in the game, but we kept him contained for the most part. The defensive line did a good job at that. They didn't leave a whole lot of gaps for him to run through. Uh, except for that one play in, the, I think it was the fourth quarter, where he he ended up scrambling for like 20 yards. Yeah, and he saw it immediately. As soon as that it, it, space opened up between the left tackle and the right guard, or the left tackle, and left guard, he just tucked the ball and ran. I mean, he, did, he, he, he went into his drop back and then immediately ran because he saw that big space. <laughs> they did a lot of rub routes, you know, pick plays, a lot of them. And Jamal Dean... Got rubbed off quite a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, know. I said that. I said that during the video. I was like, yeah, they're, <laughs> "They're rubbing our defenders off." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yes.
2: If no one comments about that on the video, I'm going to be so disappointed. <laughs> I will make a shadow account or a murder account and comment.
1: But they were very good with the way they did it. A lot of the the pick plays, you know, they'll actually bump into guys and all that, but they would just get in the way just enough to cause a little bit of separation. Jamal Dean had a horrible, horrible game.
2: Poor guy. They picked on him.
1: Yes, and I don't know. I I really don't know if they specifically game plan to target him.
2: I don't think so because Carlton Davis got hurt during warm up, so they didn't even know that Jamal Dean was going to be in there.
1: You're right. But, but, yeah, so that's why I think they just— uh, he didn't cover his receivers very well and his guys were getting open. So oh, interesting. Russell, okay. And Russell Wilson was just throwing the, at the open receiver. And that, that's another thing. He didn't miss a single open receiver during this game. He's one of those quarterbacks. If you fall down, he's going to hit your guy. You know, he's not a progressive read type quarterback. You know, he's, he might go through progressions, but you know, if his, if a third wide receiver is open, he's going to throw it to him immediately. So, Jamal Dean did not handle traffic well. There was a couple of plays where even our guys got in his way.
2: He got rubbed off by one of our guys?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. He was thrown at 16 times.
3: Woo!
1: I know. I didn't uh, chart how much anybody else got thrown at, but I'm pretty sure that was by far the most of all our defensive backs. He allowed three touchdowns and a two-point conversion. Out. So, that's 23 points.
2: That's an ugly...
1: Very, Oof. very ugly... Now, watching the game, I was impressed with Jamal Dean when I watched the the broadcast when we were watching it live because yeah, he really does have what Arian says. He's got length. And the guy's really long. He's really tall. He's got decent speed. And watching him, I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, he had five pass defenses. That was more than anybody than the rest of the team combined. But, of course, then when you get thrown at 16 times, you should have. So, you know, he did he did pretty decent when he was near the receiver. But so many times he would... Just be too far off the receiver. They would, they would juke him out or they would rub him off. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, it got, it got out of hand. It really did. But on the all 22 watching it, you can see real quick. And this is something I look for with guys. He does not like contact. This guy avoids contact.
2: Oh, God. Just what? We need another Brent Grimes.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's something he'll get into later. I mean, this was his first game.
2: Yeah, and he's young, moving from college to the NFL. It's a whole different beast.
1: And he wasn't expecting to play either. He had no preparation for this. You know, I mean, it was a, you have an hour before the game to get ready to play the whole game. Now, that's that's intimidating. It's like cramming
2: for a test you didn't know you had.
1: You are so close from being in school. I'm like 30 years removed (laughs) from school. I don't ever use school as an analogy for anything. (laughs)
2: You probably wouldn't have when you were in school either. That's
1: true. That's true. So, Jamal Dean was, was really our weak spot. That's obvious to anybody that watched the game. Uh, it really stood out on the game film, though. Uh, Winston played great. He played fantastic. Uh, I would almost say he played better than Russell Wilson. He didn't have—he had one scramble out of the side of the pocket when he didn't need to, but it worked out for him, and it wasn't a big deal So, you know, that one, you know, I wouldn't even say it was a a bad decision on his part. And he missed one open receiver. He didn't see him. But, again, he threw to the receiver right in front of the guy. So, it was really a difference of about five or six yards. So, other than that, Jameis Winston played a great game. The fumble he had, I I did this in the video, and he was blamed for it on the broadcast. And me and you were sitting there watching it, and they showed it in, in another way. And you could see that Donovan Smith hit his elbow. Well, not only that, Donovan Smith stepped on his foot. Oh no! The reason why Donovan Smith hit his elbow and stepped on his foot is because Jameis Winston backed into him. I did not see that until I watched the All 22. You can see, him. and it was only he only backed up like two feet.
2: You couldn't tell on the broadcast either because the broadcast was so panned in. It yeah. was like just from yeah, they don't his show the chest feet. up right, like you can't see, and you could barely see Donovan.
1: Yeah, he started off. Jameis Winston started on the inside of the left hash mark, and he got hit by Donovan. On the outside of the left hash mark, so it was it was about two feet. He when he when he snapped the ball, he backed up and he backed up right to about the middle of the hash mark, and then he uh, shuffled his feet and backed up, and that's when he hit Donovan Smith. Interesting. So you know it really was Donovan Smith's fault, and we could blame both of them, but
2: yeah, just kind of one of those plays.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those plays, one of those uh, plays that seem to happen to the Bucks quite often. One thing that really stood out on the all twenty two. And this reminds me of the, the New Orleans Saints game. We played with low energy. I mean, we played these guys hard, and we we you know we sh- sh- had a shootout with them. Took them in the overtime, but they were much more physical than we were, and they had much more energy. We were tired. You could tell. You could tell our guys are tired.
2: You think it was the jet lag, the travel, the time time difference?
1: I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of excuses you could say for what it was, but yeah, I, I would say it's just all this traveling they've had to do. I mean, they, to, to be honest, they they pl- t- played great considering all the tens of thousands of miles they've traveled in the past few weeks.
2: It's just outrageous.
1: It is it is dumb. I mean, the NFL really, they should just give us a playoff spot just for <laughs> screwing us over so bad. Is that
2: how it works? It
1: should work that way. <laughs> I mean, it's just its just not, it's not fair. It's not parody. They talk about they want parody in the NFL. That's not parody. Yeah,
2: don't give us a bullshit schedule and then give a team like the Patriots the easiest schedule in the league.
1: That's crazy, ain't it? They come up against a hard team, the Ravens, and they got their butt stomped. But we played well and we played hard, but not as hard as we normally do, and the energy just wasn't there. Uh, Whitehead is a perfect example. I don't know if Whitehead has changed his style of play since he got hurt a couple weeks ago. You know, he got his head rung, but he hasn't been quite as physical, and he didn't have the best game in in this game. He actually gave up the game winning touchdown, but he's not flying in and hitting guys like he was. Before he got hurt.
2: Yeah, now that you mention it, I haven't noticed him the past few games. And when, he hasn't stood out to me.
1: And he's one of the guys that when a good play is made on defense, I mean, he's up there jumping up and down and hooting and hollering and all that. None of that in this game. There was none on anybody. Uh, JPP did a little thing after he got his sack and all that, but it was very – but they were very – they just look tired. They looked like they didn't have the energy to do that stuff. And even, you know, I talk about Vita Vea is always standing on the sideline watching the offense, you know, and again, and, you know, when when anything happens, he goes over there doing his Incredible Hulk stance or his Vita Vea stance, you know, where he's got his arms down, you know, clenched. Ugh! None of that. I didn't even see him on the No, I did see him standing on the sideline once with uh, Bo Allen, but they were kind of off. About five yards back. which very unusual. I mean, Vitavay is usually right there. These, these guys are tired, man. They they need this game coming up where they can wake up Sunday morning in their own damn beds and drive to the game. They need it. Man, we are going to just destroy the Cardinals. <laughs> but the, the O-line played great. Uh, I mean, they they had a few slip-ups here and there, but you expect that even with the best O-lines. Uh, Javion Clowney. Who?
2: Javion.
1: Javion Clowney. Do you remember hearing his name?
2: No, I forgot he was on scene.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tamar Dotson, he, he went up against Tamar Dotson for the first part of the game. And then he went up a lot against Donovan Smith, second part of the game. They, they kept switching, you know, left side and right side. He didn't do nothing. I mean, they were, they were just manhandling him. It did. I, the offensive line did great. Offensive line did great. The one sack that was given up, uh, 54, who was that? Bobby Wagner, he comes shooting up through the middle untouched and got that sack on Jameis Winston. That was uh, 27, Ronald Jones missed the block on the blitz. He actually didn't even see the guy coming. He was over there helping Donovan Smith with the guy. Donovan Smith didn't need no help. He just did not see that blitz coming. Uh, they gave up a few. Uh, Jameis Winston got hit as he was throwing a couple of times, you know, getting pushed back. But, you know, I mean, it was nothing – Definitely not bad, and that's that's one of the things you know when we talk about the positives with this team. Our offensive line is playing above average. If you ask me, I and mean, they're not playing spectacular, they're not I mean, they're not totally stuffing people and all that, but they're playing really well. And if we remember, go back and look in the off season, the preseason, everybody was worried about the offensive line, and the, the, you know they're head and shoulders above where they were last year.
2: I would like to chart it out because the offensive line is still taking a lot of flack.
1: I know it aggravates me. <laughs>
2: I'd like to look through all the sacks and see and chart whose responsibility that was or whose fault that is. Just to see the numbers, because... Yeah. We've said most, a majority of them are running backs in pass Mm -hmm. protection. Mm -hmm. I listened to Pewtercast today with Scott Reynolds. They had him on and Scott Reynolds was saying with Rojo getting the start, you know, he's really played spectacular this year and he's good with like running and pass protection. And and I'm like, are you watching the same? So I would like to see the actual numbers, just go through all the sacks and look at.
1: Well, I'm going to put together a video showing all the missed pass protection by the running backs. And you'll you'll see, you know, the the offensive line has given up. I think of all the sacks, they've maybe given up 30%, you know, maybe 40, somewhere in that area, half maybe, at at most half. But, you know, Jameis Winston running into sacks and uh, the the running backs missing assignments and tight ends too. But they're
2: still on pace to give up a ridiculous amount of sacks this season. I forget what the number was.
1: Well, the hard part of our schedule is over. Now we're playing relatively easy games from here on out. I think we got Houston coming up. That might be a little difficult.
2: New Orleans, we play Orleans. after the Cardinals. We'll play Atlanta twice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so the O line played great. The defensive line, ah, man, they just like I said, they they just did not. It was this was probably the worst showing of the defensive line yet. Uh, they had a pretty decent game, but still, he's not playing with the violence that he was last year. I got I a couple of I think the losing
2: is kind of demoralizing. Could and be. And I'm sure that they're tired. Yeah, yeah, rally. I think
1: they're just tired.
2: But we lost Carl Nassib and Anthony Nelson in that game, and there were only four outside linebackers active. So we lost two of them. And so JPP and Barrett. Barrett play, like, the whole game.
1: Yeah. And and Barrett made a few mistakes. This was the first time I've seen him make mistakes. He made a couple of them. Uh, Sue had his worst game yet, though. The the offensive line of the Seattle Seahawks held almost every play. It wasn't real bad holding, but it was just enough to maneuver the defensive linemen and keep them from getting up. And it was, it reminded me of uh, the Washington Redskins game a couple years ago where I I was just like, wow, these referees are must be on the take because those Redskins linemen held our guys the whole game. And this was kind of this way. there, There was a lot of little holding. But these refs didn't call a lot of stuff. You know, like, was James getting hit in the helmet? They didn't call it. Uh, there was pass interference. They didn't call it. There was holding. They didn't call it. So they were very lax. They let these guys play. And our offensive line, I think our defensive line came to our offensive line in halftime or something where they're about it and said, Hey, man, these guys are holding us all day long. So y'all need to start holding. And they did. So <laughs> the last half of the game, it was just holding, holding, holding. Both sides were just going crazy with the holding. but it wasn't, it wasn't real bad holding. It was just holding enough just to slow them down. And then they let them go. It, but Sue and Vea both ended up on the ground more combined than they have all year. But Sue had a had a really bad game. He just did not look like he was playing well, like he was feeling good, or something. He was tired. I don't know. But he didn't uh he just wasn't the, the dominant guy he, he has been before. And and honestly, I don't know if Seattle's offensive line is really good. I and mean, they did they did pretty good against our defensive line. We did not get the pressure I would have liked to have seen against um Russell Wilson. But then again, you know, we might have just been worried about keeping him in the pocket. And we did a really good job of that.
2: Also, their run game really took off. Do you yeah. think that was on the defensive line? Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I point this out in the video. But it's uh you know, the Derrick Henry Tennessee, when he got there, he had three runs against us, now three of them were because of holding, mainly on, on uh Golston. On that play with uh with Chris Carson, <laughs> where he popped off that big fifty six yarder it was it was one hundred percent our fault. We had there was a whole Sue came from one side Bo Allen came from another they had him dead to rights you see them both they lock in on him they target him they got him they hit him with great force and unfortunately they ended up hitting each other with great no. force knocked each other off the damn tackle and then three other players missed tackled after that and then Devin White of course did his spectacular play well, he was fast.
2: Yeah, I'd like to see more of that. Less I'll of him to... chasing someone 50 yards down the field. Right. but
1: More of that speed. I like the speed. speed. Knocking balls out. Yeah. Hitting guys. But yeah, we seemed a, a bit low energy. Uh, they were much more feisty than us. Yeah, there was like a lot of pushing and shoving after the play. It was almost all them. And we wouldn't uh, engage with them. We'd just walk away which is very, very strange for us. I mean, we're kind of a bully team, especially our defensive line. Just, there wasn't a whole lot of that in there. They, they were coming in harder. They were tackling harder. They were more physical. I mean, not by leaps and bounds, but uh, we, we just didn't seem to have the energy we have been lately. Like I said, it reminds me of the Saints game. And even Jordan Whitehead was subdued. I really do think that we're just tired. And especially, it happened during overtime. I and mean, our defense was out there at the end of the fourth quarter. You know, the— Seattle got the ball. There was like a minute left or so. They drove it down the field, attempted to kick the field goal with three seconds left. They missed it. Then we'll get into overtime. They got the ball right back. Our defense had to go right back out on the field. These guys were tired, man. I'm telling you. They were tired to start the game, and then by the end of it, they were tired. I mean, they weren't out there like, you know, panting and bent over with their hands on their hips and stuff. But compared to how they normally play, you can just tell they were – just a couple notches down on their energy level. In overtime, we blitzed a lot, which that's hard to do when you're tired, too. But we did a lot of blitz. And I want to say we blitzed every play. It wasn't a lot of plays, but in overtime, we blitzed. And they weren't that effective either.
2: Yeah, they just drove down the field.
1: Yeah. And we played a very basic defense throughout the whole game. Not a lot of looks or deception. I think a lot of that had to do with Jamal Dean and some of the other rookies we had out there. We just did not want to have a complex defense, you know, confuse them. Uh, we played man coverage almost exclusively. We did zone a few times, but it was a, it was a very very simple defense, not like we would normally play. With Claire out, looks like we're going to have Josh Wells in quite a bit for those jumbo packages. Uh, he was in for a few plays during the Seattle game.
2: I saw one once he was in, and you were like, "Oh, is Dotson hurt?" During the broadcast, that's right. We saw him in there.
1: Uh, there was one play i, I I don't know how I forgot to put it on the All-22 the video, but I didn't. It was a really neat play by Winston. The ball was snapped, and it was low, down about around his knees and to the left. You know, it wasn't at his body. It was about, I don't know, probably a foot away from his body to the left and down around his knees. And he was looking downfield when the ball was snapped, and he reached out with one hand and grabbed that ball when it was snapped beside him and picked it up. Yeah, he was in shotgun formation. It was pretty neat. I was like, "Huh, that was pretty impressive. Normally, for the Buccaneers, that would have been a Keystone Cops play.
2: Yeah, no kidding.
1: We had a few things go our way this game, which kind of makes you go, damn. You know, if we can have things go our way and still not win, maybe all these games where we bitch about not getting ref calls or, you know, these silly plays or, you know, ball bouncing their opponent's way. And we say, oh, if that only would have diff- this and that, that. Well, we had those this game. You know, the refs called fumbles that we recovered. uh, That we had that play with Perriman with the ball bounced the right way. He got it, went in for a touchdown. We still lost. So, you know, a loss is a loss. A win is a win. But uh, still, you know, it's not like we're out there getting our butts whooped. You know, we're a good team.
2: It's just such a head scratcher. I l- listened to Peter Cass today, like I mentioned earlier, and – Everyone's kind of got their theory about what's wrong with the team. I can't figure it out. I just don't. They brought up what you just said with the unluckiness, that Jameis just seems to be one of those people where sometimes things go right, more often than not, they go wrong for him. Mm. He just kind of has that energy about him, maybe. And then Scott Reynolds, which he wrote in his Fab Five, said that B.A. should be doing the play calling. Not Byron Lefwich.
1: I don't. I, I don't see a problem. I mean, how can you? There's, there's not a problem with the play calling. Yeah,
2: that's kind of my thing you know too. I, mean, what, I don't understand what. What does he think is wrong with the play calling? If anyone thinks that there's something wrong with the play calling, please tweet at us and explain what about it you disagree with. I'm curious. I don't. Maybe I should read the Fat Five.
1: I mean, there, there, I'm sure there's stuff that you could say in hindsight could have been done better or whatever. But I mean, our offense moving down fields really not that much of a problem.
2: I mean, we're scoring. My opinion is the inconsistency. And it isn't just Jameis Winston. It's across the board, across the team.
1: Yes. I, and the inconsistency wouldn't bother me so much if we had players and units that would step up to fill that gap of the inconsistency. You know, like if Jameis Winston's having a bad game, ah, screw it. Defense, get the ball, tur- you know, get the turnovers, score touchdowns. You know, good teams do that. You know, when, when the wide receivers are not are getting shut down or they're screwing up, uh, then the running backs step up and, you know, they go above and beyond. You know, just we just don't seem to have that. It's like when one unit or one person starts messing up, it just demoralizes the whole team, and they, they don't step up.
2: I don't think that they necessarily play worse when things are going wrong, but that they're not, like you said, elevating the rest of the
1: team. I think it's a, you know— the mentality. I mean, the, the fan base has definitely got it. I mean, I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We talk about this. You know, we'll be watching the game and something will happen and we'll go, oh, no, here we go again. This is Buccaneer football. And, you know, they got to be thinking the same thing. Yeah,
2: I think so, too.
1: And so when you have that mentality, or you know, it's kind of like with the secondary. When the secondary starts screwing up, you know, the defensive line is just like, oh, crap. You know, this mess again.
2: Or when Jameis throws an interception and the defense has to go back out there Mm -hmm. and they have ridiculous field position and they're going to give up a touchdown. That's got to piss you off, too.
1: Yes. So they they don't seem to have that mentality of, hey, when one person or one unit is doing badly or underperforming, that they need to step it up as a team to cover up those deficits. We just don't seem to have that mentality.
2: in the offseason, we talked all the time about the culture change. Mm-hmm. Yes. And B.A. hasn't quite cracked that nut yet. And I wonder if it's his philosophy. I, I, I
1: don't know if he has or he hasn't because, you know, we've lost four in a row now. We're two and six. And these guys are still playing. I mean, I, I don't see anybody out there loafing. I mean, like I said, they, they look tired. But, you know, I, I don't see anybody quitting. But last year, you know, you saw that quick. You know, guys just. We'd...
2: Yeah. What? You didn't let me finish talking.
1: That's not unusual.
2: <laughs> let me finish my thought, and maybe you'll agree with me then. No!
1: You <laughs> can't remember your thought, can you? I can't remember it. <laughs> uh, you were saying that the...
2: Uh, oh, the culture change. Culture change. So, BA's philosophy, and what he tells the guys, is that this is their team, and they'll mm-hmm. go as far as the team can take them, the players can take it. Well, when you have a team that for years has been performing badly, even if the players want to win, again, they have that negative, those thoughts, the, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe the onus is on B.A. to think, change his tactic a little bit.
1: Could be. Could be. I, you know, I hate that we're 2-6. and six, I really do. But I really like this team. I, I'm really sad that if we don't make the playoffs, that we're not going to have this team next year. We're going to have a lot of guys back. we got a lot of young guys and everything, but there's a lot of players that aren't going to be here next year that I would like to see with us still.
2: That's every year.
1: Yeah, that's true. There was an article, I can't remember where I read it, and I've been hearing this quite a bit throughout the media and the fandom, about jettisoning all these players so that we can get draft picks for next year. You know, like they want to get rid of Barrett, get him, you know, trade him, Sue, trade him. Uh, but you, people even talk about getting rid of Mike Evans so we can stock up. You know, I'm like, what? What the, One, I don't like the whole let's quit mentality. And this was this was happening two weeks ago. They started this mess. You know, but why in the world would you quit now? And, and the plus, what what makes you think that getting a bunch of new players next year is going to make anything? I mean, new players have to develop. And one of the reasons why we're having a hard time, especially in our secondary, is because we've got so many new players. So what do you think is going to happen next year when you get a bunch of new players in, you've gotten rid of all your good vets? It's going to take years for this team to get to any point. And so these same people are going to be complaining next year, eight games into the season, about, oh, we need to get a bunch of free agents and get rid of all these crappy rookies we got, Some whatever. I don't know, it's a weird thing. That's something that I think fantasy football has instilled in uh, NFL fans, is they think that you know if you've got an issue or a deficiency on any part of your team, then just go out and get a guy that's got better numbers and plug him in that spot, and that's going to fix everything. It's like this is how it works. There's a lot more that goes on here than stats.
2: I really am a firm believer in consistency, Me too. and the Bucks have completely lacked that since I've been a fan. Oh yeah, and. Good teams don't have that problem, which is why they're good teams. It's right. like the Saints. They've been building what they have for years. New England. Mm-hmm. Well, they're kind of an exception. because they get of, uh, Yeah,
1: like, they're always an exception. The Ravens.
2: The Ravens. I mean, you do have to, like you said, develop players. But then you have to let those players get acclimated in that system mm-hmm. to each other. And it's much easier to add or upgrade pieces than it is to completely rebuild. And all we've been doing for the past 11 years is the rebuild.
1: But it's hardly ever build as a rebuild. It's always, you know.
2: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this year is no exception. Yeah, Yeah.
1: right. This year it was the reload. Yeah, I'm with you on that 100%. I mean, the good teams don't just pop up out of nowhere because they got a bunch of good draft picks. You know, it's usually... You know, coaches that have been there for a while have brought their guys in, worked a system. And that's one thing, you know, like with B.A., I mean, he's come in, and the offense hasn't changed hardly at all. The
2: receiving core.
1: The receiving core has changed a little bit from the third stringer down. Yeah. Uh, You know, B.A. is still trying to figure out with these guys who's going to work and who's not going to work, you know. And so next year, if he's still here.
2: I think he will be. No one's really turned against him yet.
1: The media did there for a couple weeks. Past couple weeks. But after this week, it's been very strange. After that Seattle game, man, everybody's like talking good about the team. Very strange.
2: Yeah, it's weird because I had stopped listening to any Bucks coverage, and then I happened to listen to that podcast today, and I was really surprised about how positive it was. And prior to that, I had been really despondent about the state of the team and the state of the fan base and what's going to happen. And is this year over?
1: Yeah, Molly has a hard time listening to a bunch of negative stuff. I so do. When everybody starts being negative, she just stops I shut it down. Yeah.
2: So I just assume not everyone was very negative and based on Twitter all Well they
1: were after that Tennessee game. And I tell you what they wanted to just blow this whole team up.
2: That one was frustrating and I can see their point. Or that reaction, I can understand their reaction. I think it's an overreaction, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that one was one of those. Kind of like the Giants game where you're like you have got to be kidding me.
1: Yes. Yes. Right, that's the thing about this this year is you know, we've got Three games that I can think of right off my head that we really should have won. And, you know, all the other games, we were right in them to the last second. Nope. They're
2: more disappointing to me this season because it's stuff we're doing to ourselves. It's-
1: right, right. Well, yeah, we're beating ourselves. Well, you could say with the, with the Saints game and the Seattle game, we went up against good teams. We slugged it out with them, and they were the better team. We got beat. All the rest of the losses we've had. We beat ourselves. I feel like the fan base—we we, we have short memories. It's hard to remember games from week to week. It's definitely hard to remember seasons from season to season. But they seem to forget the the Lovey Smith era where we were getting trounced by teams. I mean, Baltimore came in, scored five touchdowns on us in the first half. Chicago just rolled over top of it. I think they scored like fifty points. Atlanta just beat. It was it was bad, bad stuff. This team isn't like that. You know, I mean, this team, we are going toe to toe with good teams with a chance to beat them. And we're just beating ourselves every now and then on games that we should win. So I, I like this team. I like it. They're, 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 almost every team, you know, we, we don't call for people to be cut and all that good stuff. But almost every team throughout the years, there's always a few players where I just roll my eyes about. I'm just like, oh gosh, this guy, uh, you know, Dominic Smith. Was one he he just frustrated the hell out of me. Now that's why I'm just so thrilled to watch him now. He just he's playing so much better. Weird. Got a bunch of millions of dollars and they play well sometimes.
2: Maybe we should pay Jameis.
1: <laughs> Maybe isn't he getting good money this year?
2: Yeah, but this is last year of his contract.
1: I don't know, uh, but there's really nobody on this team that I feel that way about. Uh, the closest I would come to would be Vernon Hargreaves
2: and Perriman.
1: Yeah. But I don't get, you know, it's like with Perriman. I'm not like, what are you doing? It just seems like he's just not.
2: The effort isn't there. To me, he's Deshaun Jackson light because there's not as much lack of effort as there was with Deshaun Jackson, although it is infuriating. But there's also not the talent level as Deshaun Jackson.
1: And he's not getting the targets that Deshaun Jackson got either. But yeah, it's just this team. I just like the whole team. I like the coaching staff. I like the team. So I get, you know, when I hear people talk bad about you, especially when they bring up, like, the offensive line. Well, if we only had a good offensive line, you know, and I'm just like, ah, you know, stop. Our offensive line is good. It's not great. I mean, it's not, you know, top 10, but it's close.
2: We've seen what happens when you blow up an offensive line.
1: Right, yes.
2: So even if you feel like this offensive line, not great, I would say they're slightly above average. Mm Mm-hmm. But you blow that up, and then what do you get? You got to rebuild your offensive line. And, and the, ask Lovey Smith how that works. Right.
1: Out. We are still dealing with. This is the first year since Lovey Smith was hired and blew up our offensive line, which is so weird. I I've never seen I've never seen that happen, and it was just weird how the media just never just kind of ignored it. And who does that? But anyhow, we haven't had a good offensive line since then, and that was what 2014. Yeah, 2014. We've been dealing with that issue until this year. This is the first year I can go, okay, we could settle down. We've got a decent offensive line.
2: You know, and how much of it was coaching, too, because Dirk Cutter is a constant there as well. Mm, true. I don't know, but it's just a dumb decision to jettison your whole oh, offensive God. line. I know. It's a
1: terrible decision. I swear to God, I think Lovey Smith coached this team out of spite. He did. <laughs> He wanted give revenge for them, for the Buccaneers firing him back when he was with Dungie Anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Uh, that's the summation of the Seahawks game. If you want to check out the video I made, the things I found interesting, it's on YouTube. Just go search for Buccaneers Observer. It should pop up. Uh, it's a shorter one this time. I think it was like 15 minutes. Wow. It really wasn't a whole lot. Uh, See what
2: happens when we play relatively decent? <laughs> there's like well, nothing to talk about.
1: Well, you know, a lot of the stuff I point out, you know, is the damage and Joes, you know, especially the trenches, the offensive linemen throwing guys, or the defensive linemen throwing guys, or the offensive linemen getting beat and getting thrown, stuff like that. There just wasn't a lot of that in this game. I, <clears throat> by the, by, about the third quarter, I was really frustrated because of all the holding. And I was like, I'm going to start, you know, doing, I'm going to start putting the holdings in. But then I realized it was, it was almost every play. Every play. So I was like, there's no way I could do it. This video would be so long if I did that.
2: Would you rather they call the hold every play or that oh, they no. just let them keep playing?
1: No, I would let them keep playing. The I think holding is one of those penalties where I'm like, why? Why do we even have that as a penalty? It's one of those things I don't understand.
2: And you could really call it on every play.
1: You really could. But with the Seattle's offensive line, they were... <laughs> It was quite uh, prevalent.
2: Cheating, the- bitches. <laughs> uh,
1: they did a good job with our defensive line. Uh, but the, I don't know, I hate, it, we go back to to this, you know, in engineering, that they say that uh, the more complex something is, the more likely it is to break. That's how I feel about the NFL and their rules. If you look at the rule book now and look at it just 10 years ago, it's probably double the size. You know, they just added all this stuff in and, you know, there's so much you could do to reduce that. I think that, you know, reducing the actual rules themselves would help the game immensely and get rid of all the subjective crap. You know, don't, don't have these refs decide whether it was a, an intentional hit or, you know, if it was a intentional grounding or whatever, you know, make the rules this, that, this and that. If he steps over here, then it's this. If he doesn't step over there, then it's not that. Real simple. But holding is one I've, I've never understood why. Why they even have that as a rule. Because it, it's like, yeah, if linemen were allowed to be held, it would make it more difficult for the defensive linemen. That's for dang sure. But they would evolve. Those guys would learn how to get out of those holes. Right now, they don't know how to do it because they're not used to it. But that's how... Things happen. You you see it in the NFL all the time. They do one rule change for the offense. The defense eventually evolves after a couple years, and they learn how to beat that. Uh, We were talking the other day about face mask penalty. I hate the face mask penalty. I think it's the dumbest penalty on the planet. Not that it's the intention of the penalty is good. You know, we don't want people grabbing people by the face mask and ripping their damn heads off, breaking their necks. But why are we depending on the players to not break somebody's neck? That's what we have equipment for. With the face mask, you know, it's guys reach in and they grab hold of the metal grill. You know, they wrap their fingers around the grill and they pull on it. It would be so damn easy to stop that by just putting the plastic shield on the inside of the face mask or the outside of the face mask so they can't stick the damn fingers in there. You know, and if you don't like it fogging up or getting dirty or whatever, get one with slits or holes or whatever. Just get rid of that rule and make the equipment work for you. That's how you're supposed to do I mean, that's like cars. You know, cars are so safe nowadays. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, these things were made out of steel. You know, now they're plastic and fabricated thin metal and aluminum. You know, when they hit something, it's uh, the car crumbles itself, and the frame of the car is what protects you. And you've got so much. You've got airbags on the driver's side, the passenger side, the doors, and all that good stuff. That's what saves lives, not the speed limit. You know, not police officers sitting out there arresting people for not wearing seatbelts. That's not what saves lives. What saves lives is the damn cars are built more safely. You know, used to, if you hit, if you drove, go drive like a 1970 Trans Am. If you even bump something, you know, if you, if you were to bump a mailbox, it's just going to blow it up. I mean, it's just because it's like three tons of solid steel, you know. It could can, it can be going 10 miles an hour and hit you and it's going to break your neck. You know, you get hit by a... Damn Corvette now, and you know, it'd probably just bump you into the next lane or something. It's just, you know, everything's designed better. And that's what we need to do with the football. Just go through the rule books, get rid of all the subjective crap, and get rid of stuff that we can have equipment take the place of. The less rules, the better. Anyhow, that's my rant. Let me get off this soapbox. Got a few things in the news. Uh, Kellen Winslow has accepted a plea agreement. If you're not familiar, Kellen Winslow Jr., was arrested for attempted rape and rape and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, he has accepted a plea gr- plea deal to serve 12 to 18 years in prison.
2: Wow. Yep. That was the plea deal. Like, that was best case scenario. Oh, he was going to get gonna life. Get.
1: He was going to get life.
2: Good Lord.
1: Yeah. Uh, he had been previously been convicted of three counts and acquitted on one. They were all, uh, let's see, there was eight remaining rape and sexual assault charges. He had already been a- convicted on three of them, three separate ones. And one was acquitted. Uh, The jury couldn't reach a verdict on the remaining eight charges. And the retrial began November 4th. And during recess and before opening statements were due to commence, Winslow's father, Hall of Fame tight end, Kevin Jr. said loudly to one of the prosecutors, do not look over here. And then uh, Winslow decided to accept a plea agreement for 12 to 18 years. So he's going to be in prison for, let's see, where's that at? Is that Florida? Ah, I can't remember. Ah, He's going to spend quite a few years in prison. So there we go. Next Buccaneer. That guy was crazy. All the stuff that came out—that is nuts. How you find out all this stuff years, years after guys leave teams, and you you go, how do we not know that? We've got how many reporters do we have? Just beat reporters for the Buccaneers. We've got Rick Stroud, Greg Alman, Scott Reynolds, both Bucks, both Joe Bucks,
2: Mark Cook, Roy Mark Cummings, Cook,
1: Roy Cummings, T-, right.
2: T Bass.
1: Yeah, so, so that's eight right there. And that, we're not named That's not. That so we've got a dozen, at least, a dozen people whose job it is, their whole job, this is what they do for a living, is to report on this team. How they don't find out stuff like this is, its in, I, I'm like, whoa, how does that happen? How does that happen? But it happens all the time. All these guys, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on with these teams that we don't find out until somebody writes a book. Or until something like this happens. You know, or you know, I mean this is this is the same guy who we found out was carrying blow up dolls on the airplane. He obviously had a real
2: Yeah, and then he was jerking off on the airplane. Yeah. He would carry the torso with holes that he would, you know. Yeah, he, he... in his suitcase traveling to games. With the How bucklers. he got through security or TSA that's got to be some weird shit, being a TSA agent. you got to search some <laughs> luggage, and you open yeah. it.
1: And how would that not get out? I mean, how would it not yeah, get out? Yeah, how does that not leak? It's crazy to You me.
2: know he made that entire team
1: uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So
2: how is it that not one person leaked? I just,
1: I don't know. Right. It's and, crazy. And, but it's not just the Buccaneers. He went to the Jets. Was it the Jets, I think? Yeah. He, he went to the Jets and did the same thing, and that didn't leak out there. It didn't leak out until after he got arrested. Nuts. I don't know, man. Telling him. Craziness. Buccaneers have signed rookie linebacker Quentin Bell to the practice squad. We put who who do we say Auclair on injured reserve?
2: Yeah, for a toe injury he sustained during the game. I remember him going out. Must have been pretty bad if they put him on IR immediately.
1: That guy's tired of blocking. <laughs> he,
2: just... he wasn't particularly good at it to begin with. <laughs> so we put Anthony Auclair on IR, signed. Quentin Ballard of the practice squad. We had some other moves, too. Cousin Daniels, remember him from Yeah, he's, he's
1: the one that can't hear in the left ear? Or? No,
2: he's blind.
1: Oh, he's blind, blind. That's right.
2: He was moved to the active roster from the practice squad. We also signed outside linebacker Sam Acho. I why, don't know anything about him.
1: Why are we signing all these or bringing up all these linebackers?
2: I don't—maybe because Nassib's injury, he didn't practice today, and neither did Anthony Nelson, so we need some depth. Uh, that it's probably position. Anthony
1: Nelson. Uh, Aaron's had said Anthony Nelson will probably miss Sunday's game with injury, according to Greg Allman, but he says that uh, Carl Nassib might be able to play. Got so, okay, yeah, so they're just shoring up because of those injuries. Eh? Yeah,
2: and then we waived wide receiver Amaro, Amara Darbo.
1: You know you're not saying that name right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Whatever. I didn't even know we signed him. Well, we signed him October 17th and waived him. Today. So, yeah, we're making some moves. No trades.
1: Yeah, we were talking about the strength of schedule and all that, how we're coming up on the relatively easy part of our schedule now. First part was kind of rough. We had the hardest schedule in the league, us and the Browns. The combined record of our opponents has been 43 wins, 23 losses. The Browns, their opponents have been 42 wins, 25 losses.
2: How does that happen with two teams that had... Similar records last year, losing records last year. How do you give them the hardest schedule? What, and how can you expect them to ever get out of the bottom of the league?
1: Well, these this isn't planned by the NFL as far as you know, giving us the hardest schedule. These these schedules are in advance for years. I mean, we could we we know who we're going to play next year,
2: right? The divisions,
1: right? Because of the divisions. The only thing we don't know are the two the two or three.
2: It's the
1: NFC teams that are at the same level we are at the end of the season. Right. But the Cowboys, their combined opponents are been 26 and 42. And the Patriots combined is are 24 wins and 49 losses. Wow. It's like, you know, it's like, no, man, parody is hard to do. It's hard to force. So we're coming up on the easier part of our schedule. We're going to be at home for two weeks. And then we got another away game in Atlanta. Uh, but we got Arizona. We're playing, uh, That's going to be a pretty easy game. I guarantee you that. Again, put money on it. (laughs) Just like you did Tennessee Titans on my
2: Somebody was giving you a hard time about it. I know.
1: (laughs) They basically told me to shut up.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, And then we got New Orleans coming to our house.
2: I would love to go to that game.
1: Yeah, you never know we might who knows
2: all right let's look at our opponents coming up okay just a refresher because we haven't talked about the schedule we got the Cardinals week 10 New Orleans week eleven
1: both of those are at Raymond James Stadium
2: then we go to the Falcons week 12 week twelve week thirteen we're at Jacksonville week 14 the Colts come to Tampa then 15 we go to Detroit which they're playing pretty well
1: they're slinging the rock
2: Sling it week sixteen. We got the Texans at home, and then Week Seventeen we got the Falcons at home.
1: Yeah, so, it's re- relatively easy. I mean, we got the the Colts, Houston, New Orleans, rest of them. We should be able to win.
2: You still stick in here?
1: I'm sticking ten to six, man. We're we're Tennessee. we're winning out. From, <laughs> this is you know, you know, I the the Panthers did it last year. No, except they, the opposite. Yeah,
2: the opposite. You know? I think that's easier to do than it is to win. out. <laughs> I think losing out is more
1: difficult. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for us. You got anything else? I oh. do.
2: I just wanted to mention Good. that Cam Newton is on injured reserve.
1: His season is over. Most likely his tenure at the Carolina Panthers is over.
2: Oh, Ronald we... Jones was named the starter.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: Sorry, did you want to go back to Cam?
1: Yeah, it's great news, I think. <laughs> we, we broke Cam Newton. We might have ended his career. So, you know, even if we don't win another game for the rest of the season, <laughs> we've got that. <laughs> yeah, so Ronald Jones is uh, going to be the starter coming up against the uh, Cardinals. They've got David Johnson back. He's coming back.
2: I'll have that in the preview tomorrow.
1: That's right. Gosh, is that tomorrow? Yeah. Well, Friday.
2: Yes. The Atlanta Falcons are doing some restructuring and their coaching staff. This is so weird.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I didn't know that Raheem Morris was the wide receiver coach. I know. Why? How in the world does that happen?
2: Now he's not. Now he's the new secondary coach. The running backs coach, Dave Brock, is moving to Raheem's old job. And then offensive assistant Bernie Parmalee will be the new running backs coach. So they just. So it sounds like Raheem was not working out as the wide receivers coach, and so they're shuffling everybody around.
1: Ah, I man, I don't know. That's just a, a weird
2: experience. There is a mess
1: over there. So they just moved everybody around. They didn't get rid of anybody or had anybody. Right.
2: They just no, shifted okay. them. Hey, that's the BA's philosophy. He doesn't fire assistants, he just moves them. Yeah. Ryan Jensen is the Buccaneers nominee for the USAA Salute to Service
1: Award. I saw that. Good job, Ron.
2: I know. Oh, this is an interesting stat by Greg Allman, of course. Jameis Winston is second among NFL quarterbacks in passing yards per game. I wonder if that includes the ones he throws to the other team. (laughs) Only the Lions' Matthew Stafford is higher. And Jameis is still tied with Baker Mayfield for a league-high 12 interceptions.
1: He played well against Seattle, though.
2: Yes. And I don't mind J- – like, I can accept Jameis for who he is and what kind of player he is. As long as we don't get as many frequent games.
1: We've had too many this year. Too
2: many this year. I can handle – I could even handle, you know, a three-touchdown game and two interceptions. You know, if he's coming out positive, mm-hmm. touchdowns, interceptions, I'm good with the caveat that the interceptions – don't lose us the game.
1: Yeah, to me, that's really, I don't care how bad he plays as long as we win.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: And that, to me, that goes back to what I was saying. You know, it's uh, our defense isn't stepping up when he's playing bad. Yes. All righty. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. I think I said that earlier. Uh, for or,
2: real this time. For
1: reals this time. Molly's going to have the game preview for the Arizona Cardinals coming up. We're going to have that podcast out Friday. We were a little late with this podcast today because of me taking forever to go over the game film. We put the press conference from Bruce Arians at the end of the last podcast. And it's something I've thought about doing, whether you know, I'd like to put his latest press conference at the end of our podcast so you can listen to it if you want to. Uh, but then again, I don't know if that's something that would be if, if people would like. Uh, so just let us know, you know, send us a message or tweet us or whatever. Let us know if you think that would be a good idea or if you liked the last podcast where we did that. Uh, I I probably still might do it anyhow. I don't know. But I don't want to go through the effort if nobody's going to be interested in
2: it. Or if they hate it.
1: Right. Or they I don't want to listen to the school. You know, Bruce Harris, I love his uh, press conferences. You know, he talks football. He doesn't do any BS. You know, he's not out there giving coach speak. You know, he just talks good football. And if you listen closely, you, you learn something. So I thought it'd be a good idea to put his press conferences. in. we always talk a lot about his press conferences, too. So I thought if we put it at the end of the podcast, people could listen to it and make up their own minds about what. We said. So, anyhow, again, for the third time, that's going to wrap it up for us. Till
0: next time,
2: go, Bucks.
0: All right, not practicing uh, Carl Napa's, Nassib and Anthony Nelson. Uh, we basically just had a walkthrough as if it was a Thursday game. Uh, the travel, the extra plays in the ball game, all those things, you know, we're a little bit tired, so we made sure that this was more of a mental practice and preparation.
4: what will tomorrow be
0: like then? it would be a full speed, regular practice. Bruce, with the intrigue
5: you guys added to outside linebackers, uh, Sam's been out of the league for a bit, but just want to see what he brings and what do you remember from your- here? Uh,
0: Sam, Sam's one of those real high-energy, very, very bright guys, so he'll pick it up real quick. He can help us on special teams where we're missing not just two outside linebackers but two starters on special teams. Um, you know, and, and Kaz has been here going full speed and, and really improving, so he'll help us a bunch also. What have seen from
5: him since he's been here? Matt is a guy who comes from a Division II. And
0: yeah, I mean, he had a great camp, then he got hurt, you know, and then uh, we were really happy waiting to get him back. And um, he's very explosive. He's a really good pass rusher. He's, he's got speed to play on teams. So, yeah, he's got a good, good good future.
5: His vision has not been a factor? Of-
0: not at all. Do you
5: have any sense in terms of whether Nassib or Nelson might be out already
0: this week? Uh, Nelson probably. Nassib has a chance.
5: Let's go against your
0: old team this week. Uh, there's only about eight or nine guys left on that team. That, from when I had them two years ago, pretty good overhaul. Uh, those guys, I, I, you know, it's always different, difficult. I don't like going against friends, and uh, but um, we're not friends when when it's kicked off. So, Coach, what
5: are your impressions of Kyler Murray and how he's developed during his rookie
0: season? Yeah, very, very impressed. Uh, he's he's a a real fast Russell Wilson. Um, mm-hmm extremely dangerous uh, when he breaks out of there and uh, gets the ball out of his hand real quick. Very accurate, and uh, and they're doing some really, really good things with him.
4: In Seattle, um, Devin White said that he assembled a group of the rookies prior to the game once they learned that Carlton Davis was going to be out. He basically said this is what this is what they brought us in here to do. Mm-hmm. What does that say about him that a young guy, a rookie, would would assume kind of that that leadership role in a
0: situation? That's exactly what you know. That's exactly what we drafted him for, and expect out of him. You know, we had a long talk last week. Uh, you know, with, with Lev- when he was out, Levante kind of took over. JPP coming back, that hey, you're still a vocal part of this. I want your leadership, and especially with that young group. So I was really happy he did it.
5: When you look at it, the, the splash plays, he, he was able to make not just the 12 tackles, but the two force fumbles that have the sack. Uh, what, what does it say about his development? Yeah, he's,
0: he's healthy. He's healthy again. He's turning the corner. You know, He's caught back up. You know, When a young guy comes out of there and misses two or three weeks, it's hard to catch back up. And uh, uh, Just the speed of the game itself, wearing a brace for the first time in your life, all those little things.
5: First you got- fourth in the league in scoring points, but when it comes to giving up points, 31st in the league. Has there been a a common denominator there that's causing this team to struggle?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's basically on the back end, you know, where we thought we'd be very strong. Um, We've made errors mentally uh, in technique and judgment and everything else, so um, very disappointing in that way to have a lead. I'm not used to giving up leads in the fourth quarter, and uh, and we've done it a few times now. I
4: know during the summer you had said that you felt like the secondary could be fixed.
0: Oh, totally, because of talent. But that talent isn't showing up playing that way. Have
4: you kind of gone back and said, all right, you know, maybe what did I miss in that situation? Or is it just, is it really just about going out there and,
0: and just being able to play? Playing thing? on Sunday, not in shorts in spring. You get fooled sometimes in shorts in the spring because that's the guys that are out there playing. The big guys, you know, you never know until you put pads on. Some of those guys, when the noise level goes up, it all changes too. Do you think
3: the coaching in the secondary has been fine, Coach? Is
5: it just... No, I
0: think it's outstanding. You,
3: uh, you blitz Russell Wilson quite a bit, and, and of course. You know, you made you pay a few times. But like, is there any way you can help that back end by, by not... Putting-
0: yeah, getting home on those blitzes. That was we got tentative when he broke out of there. We're sending you, but we're not sending you to just contain him. Especially when we send everybody. You know, we sent everybody twice, and we didn't get home. And uh and th- that ain't the back end's fault. That's the that's the guy's blitzing.
5: Bruce, how extensively did you use Patrick Peterson uh to shadow the other team's uh best wide out and do you think they'll do that with Evans
3: on Sunday?
0: Yeah, I would think so. We always did it. It was just what we did, you know. Um but yeah, I would I would answer he's been doing a little bit of it with winning in the two games he's played with Thomas and uh Golden Tate, so
4: when you come into a an organization, and this is be your second time doing that um, as a head coach, how long does it take to be able to get on the same page with your coaching staff and the front office where you guys are you know, kind of seeing the same things in terms of, of the players you want to go after and even the players on your current roster?
0: That was like one day because I'd already worked with Jason and we know our, the staff's all been together. So that was the first day coming in.
1: Bruce, we know the famous quote about you are what your record says you are. Is it that simple for you, or do you feel like this team is not reflected in the win column as much as what they're capable of?
0: No, you are what you are. I mean, uh, it's disappointing to be where we're at because we've had leads. Um, we've come from behind. We've missed a kick. We we don't get a, a call. Um, that's all very disappointing because we should be in the hunt. And uh, there's a lot of football left to get into the hunt. You know, you got to win one to get – to get a string of one of them going, and we need to win one.
5: The so first time you were coaching uh, JPP, obviously you knew what his talent is, but is there something that he's shown you that uh, that you didn't know about him?
0: No, I knew about the leadership and, uh, and um, <laughs> the, the positive energy all the time, and uh, it's, it's fun to be around.
3: A couple games, you know, here we've scored 30 plus points, right? I mean, is it too simplistic to say that that your defense just wasn't grown up enough or good enough right now, and that's what's held you back?
0: I think the front seven play playing outstanding. You know, it's the back end where we're, when when Vernon's your oldest guy, you're you're young, you know, and the simplest thing is play dude coverage. You got that dude there, you ain't got to think, you know. They beat. Seattle had a really good plan of picking us and doing some things to get guys loose. Uh, but, you know, in our zone matchups and stuff, that's been disappointing. You know, when, when we played uh, the Giants, for instance, you know, we, get, we give up a first play, missed tackle, jumping over route, give up a that's That's just dumb. You know, inexperienced. And, and,
3: and, and because of that, does that kind of make you play more, you know, dude or cat coverage? Because you do that, at least that way you know guys know who they're supposed to cover?
0: That, that makes it the simplest. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Good thing is, you're, you're, you know, Jameis has been sacked more than any quarterback in the league this year. He's been sacked 30 times, he's been hit 27. How much of that is, is just on him, on the scheme that, you know, you're going to get guys out and he's going to.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's a lot on him. You know, to get the ball out, we've missed some guys. Um, Obviously, the big game and one, and you missing. Yeah, that, that was that was huge. That that had a big part of it. Mm-hmm. We're
1: speaking, speaking of that- the young secondary. A guy like Jamel Dean in that situation, not necessarily knowing how much <coughs> he was playing defense until just before the game. He's obviously disappointed overall with his performance. He also broke up a lot of passes and had, you know, mm-hmm. some flashes. So how much can a guy like that build on the positive aspects of his oh, performance? Like
0: For a young guy, that's what you have to take. And as a coach, that's what you have to take. You have to take what he did really well and, and build on it because he's going to be a heck of a player. He's a big, long, physical guy. And, uh, you know, that was, he had Metcalf. That wasn't an easy matchup, but he handled it pretty well. I mean, that long one at the end, we had zero coverage. Somebody's got to get home and hit the quarterback. That ain't his fault. In
4: hindsight, I mean, if you could go back, would you have considered maybe bringing in a, a veteran guy? I mean, they had, had Brent Grimes before, but bringing in a veteran guy to kind of help these young guys out a little
0: more? Well, yeah, uh, we brought in Darian Stewart, and there's only so many guys available. Where said the trade deadline? To
1: your knowledge, was the team in any serious discussions about maybe bringing in a veteran starter? Or were you content to sink or swim with what you had?
0: Well, there really wasn't one available. Who was it? I mean, there was nobody. There's nobody out there that that can still play fast enough to play. Um,
3: well, back uh, to some of the passing combinations you've had over the last couple of years, Carson Palmer to Fitz and Al Winston to Mike. Do you adjust to these particular sets of, of quarterbacks and receivers, um, or do you take a look at the personnel that you have and just go with a particular game plan? Do you evolve with different sets of Oh, yeah,
0: you, you you do what they do best. You know, you don't you don't say here's the system, learn it. You as a coach, you figure what can my di- guys do best to win this game, and you put them in those situations.
5: Playing a- uh, uh, man, you're talking about. Uh, are you finding teams are running a lot of crossing routes, and is there a balance to try to to stop one versus the other?
0: Yeah, I mean you just got to. You, if you're gonna play zone, you're gonna you're gonna get the same thing. you are just gonna sit down in zones. I mean, it's just playing smarter. It's all it is is playing smarter.
1: Coach cool, games in and injuries certainly have had an effect on this, but how would you assess how
0: the tight ends have played so far on your offense? Offensively, yes, sir. I'm pretty. I'm, we're scoring enough points to win games. Your tight ends, my tight ends. Yes. Um, yeah, my, it's a shame about Anthony because he was playing really, really well, and uh, you know we lose him for the season. But we'll get OJ back. Cam's been struggling with the ribs, but they're playing. They're playing Yeah, you know, we'll use the tackle. Some we'll do whatever we have to take
3: about Those five rookies that played in the last game, you know, and, and, and that's that's who you are right now, right? But yeah. the worst thing about rookies, he doesn't. You can't give him the experience. Right.
0: The and I think the other guys are second-year players. So. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah.
3: Right. So, so, but, but as you look at it, that core, these, these, could, you know, starting with your middle linebacker. I mean, this could be a, your core for a while, right? I mean, there, yeah. And I like there them. is an upside to the fact yeah. that. Yeah. They're out there competing now, and even yeah. they're going.
0: They're learning. They're learning valuable lessons for the future, but let's win. Right. Let's do it and win. Yeah. yeah.
3: you're not exactly used to being two
5: and six at the midpoint of a football season. No. Um, how's that sitting with you? Are you, are you stunned at this point?
0: <clears throat> no, I'm just pissed you know, because we had games to win and we didn't win them. And as a coach, it's like you just keep flipping it. How, wh- why? What can we do better? How can we finish the last five minutes of games? Because the last five minutes of games tells the whole season. Bruce,
5: they didn't have a, a rookie quarterback in Arizona, they have four turnovers
0: in nine games. How, how do they do that? Uh, it's, it's a very it's a very simple system. Uh, and he's a very bright kid, you know, and they're not fumbling the ball. So.
5: Bruce, in that secondary, is there anyone that's really stood up or is, is... – showing a lot of progress in your eyes at all?
0: In ours? Yes. Oh, Sean Murphy-Bunning's playing really, really well, really well.
4: Especially as considering, you know, um, it was the first preseason game, I think you had, you had made a comment publicly saying that he you know wasn't kind of where he needed to be or he wasn't yeah, going
0: he, in the games. he kind of dipped. He, he's way back up.
4: I mean, what's been the difference, you think, for him? Is it just a little bit of time and just understanding how
0: to do Yeah, way? just learning where he was, learning his role. Especially young players, when they learn their role, and uh, he's a starting corner now, he can play nickel, so his role is really expanded.